Neutral Podcast. This is episode 106 for November of 2020. And all of your three hosts, Pete, Eric, and Garrett, we're all here this month. And we have a special guest, Victor Pagan, who is known online as Three Knees Down. Hi, Victor. Well, thanks for joining us. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Normally, if we have a guest, we skipped the workshop update, but Victor, you have the mother of all workshop updates with your project that you're currently working on. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your current road racing project? Sure. Well, right now I'm in the middle of building a 1997 Honda CR250 into a super single road racer. So this is a motocross bike, not intended at all for the pavement, that's now going to be racing on a track. We met through the ADV Rider forum, and uh, I started following your build when it, you first posted it. And it's been really fascinating, all the things that you've done to try and tailor this dirt bike into a road racer. And, and you've had some challenges along the way. What have been the biggest uh, hurdles you've had to overcome? Sure. I think it's probably fair to go back to its original incarnation first. Back when I started the YouTube channel in Phoenix, Arizona, with this bike, I picked it up just as a side project to turn it into a supermoto. I think this is around 2016 or 2017. So nobody was really doing these conversions, at least not on YouTube, for a CR250 into a Supermoto. So I got a 97 off of some guy on Craigslist, and it was kind of a, a, a heap, essentially. And I had to rebuild everything from scratch, uh, go through the engine and all of those things that you would normally do. But when I wanted to put it into a Supermoto, I found that Parts really didn't exist, and it's not like anyone had done this before. So I had to kind of search around between CRF450 parts, Supermoto parts, and see how I could fit that onto a CR250. The biggest hurdle initially was after I found a set of wheels that were for a 2004 CRF450, uh, those wheels didn't fit on the swing arm that came on the 97 CR250s. And that's because the CR250 uh, that I have is the first generation aluminum frame that Honda made at that time. So I had to source a second generation swing arm, work kind of uh, work around the geometry and suspension changes that they made between those two generations, kind of smush that together. You can check that out, check that out on the YouTube channel if you'd like. And then fit the wheels on. That was the first real initial step to converting it into something that's usable with 17-inch wheels. The next steps that I had taken 
didn't happen until this year, essentially. I've gone on a hiatus from building bikes because of my significant other. She was getting her degree, so I was helping her out with that. So this year I decided, okay, let's finish off this build. We moved to California and you moved to California. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, so I found that I couldn't get the super moto plated because it's a two stroke and I didn't have all the correct paperwork for it anyway. So hence the super single build uh, became, uh, came to be this year. So finding a front end that would fit was probably the next step that I had taken. Um, I had settled on a Jixer 600 front end, and that's because I saw on YouTube, uh, some YouTuber was doing another supermoto build, and he was able to graph that on with really no issues whatsoever. You just got to press out the steering stem and then push it into the Jixer triple tree and it worked. So I figured, okay, for YouTube, I'm going to put this series up as long as I can get this part to work. If I could get the geometry down, I can worry about the performance later. And that was really the first major step towards building this bike was finding how I can get the geometry to be almost right and then building it from there. So what inspired going from the supermoto to the super single, um, and specifically the super single? Like, were you living next to a, a racetrack and you saw them at the track, or did you just see like an F450 bike online and decide to, um, you know, make a two-stroke version of one? So, uh, for people who don't know my history, I'm really into two strokes and especially small displacement two strokes when racing them. So I decided since I had the super moto sitting in storage and this year I had nothing really to build. I had crashed just at the beginning of 2020. Great way to start this year. I decided, okay. Uh, I'm going to build the, the super single. And the only reason why I came across it is because I was looking up how to take this engine. Cause I was originally wasn't going to use this frame at all. I was just going to use the engine as a platform, but I had found I had come across the 450 super singles and it was quite interesting that that was a thing. I didn't realize even when I was building the supermoto at the time, the super singles were kind of popular then. And it wasn't until a couple of years later, too late with everything that I do anyway, that the 450 super singles, I, I came across them then. So I figured, okay, for the 450 and the CR250 are probably similar enough. Aluminum frames. Yes, mine's a first generation and the 450s use a slightly different frame, but I think most of those parts should work. Um, and I looked up, you know, what kind of conversions have people have done, not many, with the 250. Uh, some crazy Europeans out there have done it, actually. But uh, I, I, it was kind of hard to get information from those guys. So I had talked to um, Jeff Maloney, 
who did the Yamaha 450 Super Singles. He's of mm-hmm. GP Tech. Mm-hmm. And he gave me some advice. And I, I asked him, hey, am, am I being really dumb here? Is this practical or not? And he kind of said, no, you know, people overthink it. Just do it. So I started putting it up and I started doing it. Um, and Tulda, the Tulda 500, if you guys know what that is. Yep. Uh, that was also a pretty large inspiration and possibly an end goal for this build overall. If I can get the 250 platform down with or without this frame, maybe I'll build up to a CR500 engine and then go from there. But baby steps first. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'm curious how this 252 stroke engine works. Like it, it's, it seems like you've actually had some time to put a little bit of ride time on it, maybe. Um, I'm curious how it's been working out with the engineering and progression and, um, adjustments and what you've had to do to kind of get things sorted. Okay. Um, on the channel, I've sort of taken it from, uh, ground zero up to where it is now. So ground zero being uh, we'll just do the suspension first and we'll uh, see where that goes each step of the way. So once the suspension was done, once all the parts were rebuilt, all the bearings were rebuilt, the frame was cleaned out and polished out, I looked towards the next thing, which was rear sets. How am I going to actually sit on this thing? Where, where are the foot controls going to be? And there aren't any. There's no mounts for that. So I had to reach out to a friend of mine, Rocket Props, to 3D print me some rear set mounts that I designed in SolidWorks, my first time working with that software, and put that together with a set of Altermoto rear sets that kind of worked. It went through several iterations before I could actually get these pieces uh, aligned right. And then from there, uh, then from there, it was just getting the fairings done, which I worked through with Airtech Streamlining to get a set of 450 fairings that would be for the tank that they made for the CRF, and then a set of fairings, RS250 Honda fairings for the whole thing. But for racing, it, it was, uh, it wasn't going to work out in time. So I just stuck a KTM 390 fairing underneath. Yeah. As far as actually sitting on it and getting the ride time down, I was able to bring it to the track in October. I was planning on racing it at CVMA in Chuckwalla Valley. Unfortunately, the vibrations were phenomenal, to say the least. Um, okay. Yeah. So... It wasn't something that I had experienced during testing with this bike. Obviously, I had ridden it as a supermoto for a little while before packing it up into storage. And then I uh, rode it around the neighborhood for what it's worth, uh, obviously at nice speeds. And I didn't really feel any vibration. So it was kind of uh, interesting to find that that would be an issue um, or, or more substantial issue than I initially anticipated yeah. getting was, on the track. Is this vibration something um, in the wheels, or is it something in the engine? 
Do you so, know? Uh, I did get a chance to look at the bike this week. Uh, I was at the track two weeks ago. And I crashed out, so I had to take a week off from looking at anything before I got back into the workshop. Uh, I noticed a couple things. I just cracked open the side, just working backwards on the things that I had put together first, uh, or put together last, I should say. That being the wheels and tires, the belly pan uh, number plate, and the clutches. So I noticed when I removed the side, uh, clutch cover, drained the oil out, and I kind of noticed there was a missing piece of the hub, the clutch inner hub. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a missing piece there. I, didn't, I don't think it would be significant enough to cause that much vibration, but it's possible. Um, so I ordered a new hub. I'm going to load that in there and then see how that goes from there. Um, the next step is going to be take off the tires and see what these local guys did for me. Um, I, I, they seem balanced. They seem fine. It's possible that it got mismounted in some way, or maybe they pulled a prank on me. I don't know, but it, they seem fine on the straightaways. It's not the kind of vibration that you would get out of the wheels that you would that feels repetitive, so to speak. Yeah. You know, it'll wind up and then wind down. It's mm-hmm. just only if you're at really high RPM. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if I pull in the clutch and let the RPMs drop. Vibration somewhat goes away. So I'm, I'm leaning towards the engine here. Watching the GoPro video from the rider's point of view, it seemed like it vibrated more when you were leaned over than when you were straight up. Or is that just an artifact of the camera? It really seemed like it was shaking and then you'd kind of pop it up and it would, it would seem to smooth out. I think it was more because I had the, I forgot to turn off the stabilization on the GoPro oh, okay. prior to okay. on the bike. I think on the straightaway, the GoPro is was making it seem like it was smooth as butter. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. But I would say uh, from memory in the corners, it actually felt less vibration inducing than on the straightaway, but that could just be a um, lower RPM. Right. Right. Yeah. You're, you're, you don't usually have the, you're not usually a red line pinned going through a corner. Uh, the way I race, I usually am. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious also about the rear suspension on this. Um, I assume it has a stiffer than stock spring on the back, but is there like uh, differences in geometry? Did you have to change any shock linkage or anything? Um, or suspension linkage to get the rear to sit the way that you needed it to? No. So the only change that I made in the actual rear suspension was adding a race tech cold valve. Uh-huh. And the settings I had used were the flat track settings. And then I kind of just didn't fully follow them. Yeah. Because I wasn't sure if I wanted to start drilling holes into the valve and then, you know, I can't reverse that. Yeah, so I just right. left the valve as, as is. I just followed the shim stack guide and put it together and then waited until I went to the track to see how I liked it or not. Yeah. So the swing arm on the 
first and second generation use a dog bone mm-hmm. to uh, do the linkage assembly. So I have a 2001 swing arm on there, and I lengthened the dog bone by 10 millimeters to get the bike to squat a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that helped with the front end because adding the Jixer front end, I was running around 19 degrees of rake, which is yeah. really, really twitchy. Mm-hmm. So this brought me back up to around 20 to 21. And because of that, I also had to watch out how far the swing arm was uh, getting dropped because I don't want to lose my anti-squat, so to speak. Not that the the bike would probably overpower itself to squat super hard out of the corners, but just something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. And th- those are really the only rear suspension changes that I made. The spring is stock. No, it's the 97 shock, and it's got the stock spring on it. So mm-hmm. it works for me so far. Yeah. I so imagine it- actually starting with a uh, first-generation CR frame is probably ideal for this kind of application because they are uh, supposedly a lot more stiff than the later generation frames. And I would think on a kind of a road application that might be beneficial, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm no frame professional. I'm just play engineer here. But from what I heard, yeah, you're right. Those frames are pretty stiff. And riding it on the track, it felt pretty much as solid as my Yamaha R3, for example, minus the vibration. So I had no issues throwing it into the corners. I would say the front end's just a bit heavy because of the Jixer front end Mm -hmm. um, and the Jixer wheel uh, still being there. So if I can get something like a Marchesini or the dream would be carbon fiber wheel, then then it'll feel really value of the bike in there in your yeah. wheels right? yeah yeah pretty much the entire build worth of budget right there yeah exactly so understanding that this went from one project to another and you're using what you had and trying to spend as little money as possible but has the thought in somewhere in all of this crossed your mind of maybe i should have just found an rs125 frame and gone from there and slapped the motor <laughs> in there I say so, this is an old RS125 racer. <laughs> yeah, so I actually, I've always wanted an RS125, but I, I, I played around with the idea of actually importing a RS250 or NSR250 rather from okay. Japan to race it or to just play with it on the street. But uh, generally, when I build things, uh, they tend to not be conventional whatsoever. Or make any kind of sense. I kind of try to look at something and say, can it be possible if I try? Or you know, yeah. is it going to no, no, no. I, I get it. I had a I had a friend twenty years ago, over twenty years ago, who built a who took a TDM eight fifty engine and put it in an R seven chassis, <laughs> okay. and it was wicked. <laughs> that um, sounds amazing. And to the point where when he was at the top of the corkscrew. Uh, and accelerating out of the corkscrew, you could hear him on the main straight. <laughs> nice, <laughs> but it was it was a wicked bike. But I, I mean, I get your I get your point for Frankenstein'ing stuff for to make something interesting. But yeah, sure. It, and and just think about all that you're learning in the process of making this work. You know, I, it it sounds like the biggest problem you have right now is the vibration, which 
could be totally unrelated to all of the modifications that you've made. That may just be a, a mechanical problem with the bike. Right. And, you know, it's it's an old engine. I did rebuild it prior to putting it in storage. So it's got maybe an hour and a half worth of use on it. I'm not too sure that it's engine issues, maybe because I put a 2001 cylinder on it instead of a 97. The clearance may be just a little bit too small. Uh, I'll have to pull the head off and make sure that I actually have full clearance there. Uh, those, those are just some things running in my mind. I'm not really sure. One of the things that uh, we discussed on the ADV Rider thread that you have going is I was talking with one of the guys from Hijira, and they were saying that uh, one of their bikes had awful vibration with a, a big Can-Am air-cooled uh, 500 motor in it. and uh, they lowered the compression ratio and the vibration completely went away and it was just a, a pussycat of a bike just from changing the compression ratio, which I found fascinating. And who knows what this is going to end up being. <laughs> yeah. So that was something that I came across on my 50cc two-stroke days with research. And a lot of those guys in France who race small displacement bikes, they would actually lower the compression to get more RPMs out of the bike. So when they're screaming at 15 to 18,000 RPMs, just a little bit more RPMs could be given just by lowering the compression. So it's, it's a thought. It's something that I'm going to look towards, but it's hard to find the, the parts to just bolt on and then go with that. I, I did notice you had no tack. Uh, at least I didn't see a tack from your track footage. So you're just going completely by feel on that, right? At least right now? Yeah, that was uh, because I was rushing, yep, <laughs> mostly. Okay. Um, I do have a tachometer, a COSO talk that I have extra for it. From feel and sound, it sounds like it's, you know, it's stock. It's around 9,000 RPM. It's, it's not going much past that. It doesn't want to blow up. On the straightaway, I, I'm... Probably before I even get to the start-finish line, I'm already at top speed. So it's really quick. It just has no top speed whatsoever, and having five gears doesn't really help that. Yeah, it's a, it's a motocross engine. That's what it's, it's built to <laughs> yeah. get off the corner. Sure. Hard and fast. Exactly. I was going to ask if you have any temptation to take that R3 and put a two-stroke engine in it, like a Banshee <laughs> engine or an RZ350 engine. I can't say that the thought didn't cross my mind a couple times. <laughs> that crosses um, my mind all the time. I think about getting an R3 uh, just to be able to put one of my RZ engines in it. Someone did suggest to get an NSR250 engine and stick it in the CR frame. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty good idea, but I, I want to make this work. Yeah, for sure. And it wouldn't be a super single then? No. I mean, I can do the Ducati thing and then block off one of the cylinders, and then it would be, a, what, a 125? <laughs> yeah. I think in going back to the transmission thing, um, I did find, and I didn't post this anywhere, or at least I did today, that uh, the karting guys in Europe used the third-generation CR250 engine, and they built 
six gear transmission for it. I couldn't find exactly how they did it. It was on sale at one point, but it is a thought in my mind to get some sort of transmission ratio change if I could find someone to manufacture that for me. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about your rear sets. You said they were 3D printed. What material were they printed in? Ah, So the initial prototypes were in plastic, and then I used the geometry and dimensions off of the plastic ones that needed modifications and then just got myself a set of aluminum and then drilled the holes and mounted them. Okay. I, I thought maybe you had access to, you know, like uh metal additive. Cint- sintered metal uh 3D printer. I was going to be really impressed if you had some <laughs> way to to build race parts. No, it's a it's a little bit out of my budget, but I think there's a company called Proto Labs that I was looking up and they will do 3D prints in aluminum. So it is down the line, once I'm satisfied with the ergonomics of the bike, I'm going to dress it up and button everything up and tidy it. My wife works for a federal manufacturing facility, and they actually have 3D printers that it's like MIG welding 3D printer, where it's actually metal wire, and they actually build metal parts in a 3D printer. And I'm yeah. fascinated, but unfortunately... <laughs> You're doing a lot of the same things that I've had to do on my Boltaco project, but you do them so much quicker and so much better without having to do them three or four or five times like I have. And it looks, I appreciate that. <laughs> it, I, I'm fascinated to see how well this is going to be once you sort out some of the, the teething issues with it. Sure. The reason for the quickness is just because I, this is essentially a large moped in my eyes. And the, the moped that I had started with, there's probably four versions of it. So this is no different. It's just a slightly bigger engine. Uh, Ballpark-wise, do you know what, the, what your bike weighs right now? Uh, that's a really good question. I would have to say... Sub 200? Yeah. I'm a small guy. I, I weigh 125 sopping wet. And I can almost lift it up by myself without, you know, gas in it. What does a stock 97 CR weigh? They're just a little over 200, like 203, maybe 205, something like that. Yeah, I just, the reason I was asking is because I remember my RS125 weighed like 152 or 155 pounds, and I actually could lift that up by myself and... Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Dry. I just looked it up. 213 pounds dry for a stock CR250R. 213. I, it's I, more than likely weighing less than that. Yeah. A little less. Even with the even with that big forks and front wheel on it? Um oh, that's true. Maybe a bit kind of balanced out. I did trim off quite a bit of weight from removing all the plastics and everything. The fiberglass is, weighs barely anything, so how long did it take you to get your stuff from AirTech? Because I've <laughs> I'm currently waiting on a seat that I ordered October first, and I they haven't sent me the notification that it shipped yet. Last one I ordered from them was about seven weeks, I think. It took me um, for the full fairing. It took me about a month and a week before they called me up. I live 15 minutes from them, so I could just oh, okay. roll up and knock on their door. 
they uh they send you out a tracking number by email when something ships to you. So I've been checking my email every day. It's like, come on, because I'm kind of at the point where I'm ready to tear into the engine and do a rebuild on my junky engine that's going to go in it. And uh I'm kind of waiting until I can take a picture of it with the seat mounted on it just for, for motivation because it's going to all have to come apart and there's a bunch of things that I've needed to do. And it's like, no, that's going to wait until it gets disassembled. No, that's going to wait till it gets disassembled. Now I'm like, okay, I'm kind of there, but I want to put the seat on it first. So I'm kind of coming up with little things to do while I'm waiting. So. Yeah, finding the time, every time I go into the garage, it's, you know, you have to be motivated to do something, even if you're waiting on parts. Otherwise, the project's just going to sit there for months at a time until everything comes together. And then at that point, you lose all motivation. Yeah, I've got about 10 projects like that. (laughs) Well, Bultakenstein just celebrated its ninth anniversary as a project and still hasn't been ever completely assembled or run so you're making good progress on it though pete i'm impressed i am lately yeah yeah the first two years was just messing around with how to mount the swing arm to it and i gave up on a on a monoshock idea and just said okay i'm just gonna put a new back triangle in the frame and put two shocks on it and then things started going well and then i stopped for about 18 months for another project when i did my little honda Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my mo- motto lately is do a little something every chance I get. Yeah. Cause for a while there, I was really trying to prioritize what's most important. I was like, you know what? If you got 20 minutes and there's a 20 minute little task, do it. Well, I guess we're into everybody's, <laughs> uh, workshop <laughs> update, but, uh, yeah. as, as a quick update on the bull taco, breaks are done. I, I, Ended up coming up with the right components to make everything work, and I've got a front brake on it that's been bled. Did a uh, a little bit. I'm, I'm working on the chain guard now. There's a lower chain guard, kind of a just a little loop that's originally for a uh, DT175, what my swing arm is actually from. And I thought, oh, I'll just bolt that bolt that on. Well, my chain runs 11 millimeters farther inboard so i had to make some spacers for that and that was by the time i figured out how far to move it over and actually made a round spacer on the lathe and then made a little block spacer for the back of it it ended up being about an hour and a half i wasted just making little spaces not wasted but it's amazing how much time you can spend on all those little piddly things that when you think of a project you don't think about all the hundreds yeah. of little tiny I, tweaks that you need to yeah, make. Yeah, the number of hours I have spent machining a part just to like abandon it and move on to a different design. Mm-hmm. Like all the time that you end up wasting, uh, you know, trying to make a part that you know doesn't exist. You have to make it, and so you have to design and engineer it. And sometimes your designs don't work the first time, and yeah. Those, that's what projects can really seem very simple at first, but quickly snowball out of control when you figure out how much time it takes to do all the little things. Making the main chain guard for it, uh, I originally had to figure out how to make it all work. So I got some metal shelves and they actually used eighth inch plywood as cushioning material in between big pieces of steel. And it was just perfect. 
as a prototyping material. Normally I use like melamine or heavy mm-hmm. like poster board, but it was like, oh, I've got a whole big four foot wide sheet of this. So I was able to use that and I'm, this is going to be a really, really porky bike as it is because I'm over engineering everything. When in doubt, make it thicker. When in doubt, make mm-hmm. it bigger. Cause I know it's going to be overbuilt 99% and there's going to be one part that not being a engineer or doing stress tests, there's, there's one death trap failure in there somewhere. <laughs> and I just don't know where it is because I'm not smart enough. But anyways, I'm using some thinner gauge, like 22 gauge sheet metal, but underneath it, I'm actually building in 16 gauge brackets so that there's some structure to it where it bolts onto the bike and it's not just all going to fall apart. So I spent this morning before work riveting those pieces together. And so I'm just about done with that. Whenever my seat shows up, I'm going to uh, work out some seat mounts and then take it all apart. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was just talking on a Facebook Bultaco group about an exhaust pipe for this thing because the Alpina has the same porting as the Sherpa Trials bike and the Matador, which it's a 350 that makes like 15, 16 horsepower. And it, and it's all low end. They top out 55, 60 miles an hour. They're, they're designed to be super mild trail bikes and they don't even really have a expansion chamber. It's a big fat head pipe that comes out and goes into kind of a larger volume like resonator box. It's not even really any kind of a chamber and it's got a smaller output. It doesn't follow any of the rules of a typical divergent cone expansion chamber. I'm like, this has got really mild porting. What happens when I build an exhaust for this? Can I use the different calculators or formulas for coming up with an expansion chamber. Is that going to work on this? I have to say, the amazing thing is how many people are willing to give you advice online. I didn't... Mm -hmm. Both in a good way and bad way. I'm very lucky that I've had a lot of people help me out because nine years ago, I thought I knew so much more than I actually did know about fabrication, about design, about motorcycle dynamics. CafeRacer.net was a great forum full of old vintage performance guys that had, you know, super bikes and they raced them. It was not the hipster arty definition of cafe racer. These guys were building basically vintage production race bikes. And they really helped me out because when I didn't know anything about this, they'd say, that's stupid. That's going to break. Yeah. That's not the way to do that. Yeah. And instead of getting butthurt, I was like, thank you. It's amazing how many people will just sit down and say, okay, this is what you need to think about. This is what you need to do. And they're not getting paid for it. They're just doing it because you're involved in something that they're enthusiastic with and they want to see you succeed. And uh, I wouldn't have met Victor if it weren't for us both being on the same forum. And I said, hey, have you thought about uh, compression ratio being possibly part of your vibration problem? Um. I've started messing with front brakes for the Aramaki Ducati Special, mainly because I was already dealing with brake components, 
And I happen to have an Aprilia front master cylinder, so I figured I'd start playing with that. I need to make a bracket, but it's going to have a Yamaha four-piston caliper, and it's actually a Suzuki RF600. I think it was an RF. Anyways. Something like that. I remember those vaguely. So that's where I got the rotor from. Got a steel braided line for it, and it's all there. I just need to finish the design for the actual bracket because it's going to need an adapter. The forks are off of GS75083 that had a 16-inch front wheel and different brake rotor, so I'm going to need to play with that. But, uh, Garrett, what have you been up to? Well, besides moving into the new house, I've been helping my friend. So if you remember on last month's podcast, I had mentioned that my friend, we were talking about the YouTube video where the guy puts a, you know, Harbor Freight Predator engine and a right. dirt bike. So, um, and it just so happened that my buddy had been inspired by that video and wanted to find an old dirt bike to put this motor in. And I found that 1980 or 81 KX 125 um basically a complete motorcycle minus the engine sitting in one of my friend's fields so i took it home and he has the engine uh he you know i helped him build engine mounts for it he kind of like refinished a few things rebuilt the brakes um we had to figure out a way to make the sprockets work because the um you know predator horizontal shaft engine uses like a 420 chain or 428 chain and this being a kx125 it has a 520 sprocket on the back um i tried to source well i I ultimately sourced a sprocket that will fit this kawasaki hub that takes a 420 pitch chain so um that's coming for it we'll be able to hook the chain up and it's really just a couple little things away from riding. It's actually kind of an interesting little motorcycle. It We probably have like $200 into it. You know, it will be kind of, <laughs> I mean, I think it'll be fun to ride kind of, I guess, maybe for a small amount of time. But it's an interesting project. It's been fun to work on. So, yeah, you, yeah we'll see how it goes. You posted some images to the podcast slack chat yeah so you guys can see them but uh it it, yeah (laughs) it actually the predator engine looks it it actually the engine does not look that out of place (laughs) in it you know what it reminds me of is like a, a, a motorcycle on a movie where like they need to make the motorcycle look like old and so the like, you know, kind of like, I don't do like some movie, like fluff up kind of thing on it. And that's kind of what this looks like, where the engine looks like new and he just like spray painted the wheels and spray painted the swing arm. And so it almost kind of looks like a Chinese 200 cc Amazon motorcycle with old KX plastic. <laughs> on it. That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> uh, but yes, it's actually very close to riding. And I'm actually really curious to see what it rides like. You so know, is this going to have a CVT on it, or is it just uh, the clutch no, on the end? No, it's a torque converter, like a CVT transmission. Right. Okay. And then the engine has been upgraded with like a camshaft and um, heavier duty or valve springs and a couple other things. So it probably makes about 10 horsepower, which is not a lot. 
but it's also a 200cc engine and probably makes more torque than a kx125 of this vintage did and so like i don't know it might be definitely not as powerful as a kx125 uh, but it might at least like tractor around some trails at slow speed. And that's really all we want to do with it. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I have very low expectations. Another thing that we have talked about in the past <laughs> is uh, doing stuff with blaster motors. Oh, yes. This is one of my favorite topics, <laughs> by the way. And uh, a guy local to me on Craigslist listed a KE100 that they had put a uh, 200 blaster motor in it. The blaster engine looks perfect for that chassis. And it looks like it's still got the KE100 exhaust on it, or at least yeah. part of it. And he said it's the brakes are totally inadequate for the power that it's putting out. It. <laughs> I was really tempted to go look at it. You know, I have no intention of buying it, so I don't want to waste his time. But I'm really curious to see what this looks like up close. For 900 bucks, though, how could yeah. you go wrong? You can spend $700 on a rebuilt blaster, or you know, just yeah. the just the motor. Yeah, yeah. Someday I, I want to I want to do something. Sorry, sorry. It's 900 or best offer. So you walk there with. I don't know, 700 bucks in cash. You never know. I haven't looked. Is it, is it still out there? It, I clicked on the link and it's still show. I mean, it's still up here. So the link is still there. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't have any more room in my garage. I'm always surprised that I don't see more projects with blaster motors in them because they're like the perfect engine to transplant into anything because they're air cooled, but 200 CC and like you can get a modest performance from them. Uh, I guess they are not terribly easy to find they're not as common as like a motocross engine but they're just so perfect i bet you can look in any major city and you can find a used blaster for sale for what maybe 12 to 1500 dollars in good condition yeah yeah for sure but we've talked about that at length yeah. on this podcast before. <laughs> yeah. i just wanted to share that and if listeners want to see these pictures of both the predator kx and the Blaster KE, go to Hooniverse, go to our monthly post for this episode, and you can take a look at those. Um, Eric, I, I hate to ask, but... <laughs> um, my bike almost ended up in a trash bin this week. Oh, really? Yes. So it was really nice this week. It was in the 70s, well, end of last week and through yesterday. So I was actually semi-motivated just to be outside and working on things. And so I went to go start reassembling the head and then things went missing. So I was irritated. Like, all right, well, walk away and let that stew and take an inventory of what I need to order now. So then I go and I start like, all right, well, let's get the rings on the piston and I'll at least throw the, the cylinder on it. And first, the oil rings do not fit into the piston. And then I went to go put one of the um, compression rings on and it snapped as I put it on. Oh, so, okay. yeah. So needless to say, I I almost felt like dousing it in gas and, you know, just burning <laughs> yeah, it in the middle no of the street kidding. on general principles. So, uh, so yeah, I got to order some parts this week and. I'm I'm literally at the point where I am so pissed off at the thing. I'm probably just going to call a buddy of mine 
and say, let me give you some cash. Call me when it's finished. I don't care. Like the problem is, is as I've stated for infinitum on this podcast, I really don't care about the bike because it's not anything I'm interested in, but it was free from my father-in-law. So it's not like I can yeah. do anything with it. I'm sort of, you know, I'm stuck with it. Yeah. Um, not that it's the worst thing in the world. I mean, Jesus, you know, but still. What is it? The sunk cost fallacy? <laughs> Something yeah. Like that. Yes, that is. Yeah. I learned that in economics. The fact that you've spent so much time and effort on it just prompts you to keep spending time and effort on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where I am on that thing. And I'm trying to figure out how to pay off a couple of things. So I could just buy something. Not cheap, but something reasonably affordable in the spring. Like a Royal Enfield. Yes. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I enjoyed that bike, but like I said in my review, it's just, it's a little, it's just shy enough on power for me yeah. where I'm like that little bit more. Yeah. I like mean, when a, I can get know, a V twin, like an older V twin Tuano, you can even get right now, you can get a first or second year version or year, like it's so a 10 or 11. V4 Tuano for about six grand. Ooh. Six grand, 6,500. So, you know, I'd be happy with the V twin at, you know, 4,000, 5,000 too. But, you know, (laughs) but, but yeah, I mean, that's sort of, and then we don't want to talk about the, um, the RS660 Aprilia and how much I'm, I know. I I was just going to say, that looks like a good bike. I think there's going to be a lot of, Older Tuanos that are going to be on sale. I, I'm predicting half of the production that's come to the U.S. will be on a track next spring because it is literally a Super Twins killer. I don't, Victor, mm-hmm. I don't know what everyone's racing around for you there at Chuck Wall. I assume everyone's got hopped up SV650s and yep. MT07s done up. Yep. And this thing is just going to. Yeah, but it, it doesn't make power like the real super sport 600s do but it's not supposed no. to no yeah but it's not yeah i just think it's a really really neat bike i'm interested to see if there's going to be a 660 tuano version of there it. is there there is it'll be out in the spring okay i didn't know if it was officially announced and but they're I kind gonna of have a uh adventure touring bike off off of it as well interesting mm. A mini, a mini, they're not going to call it a Capo Noir, but it'll be basically a mini Capo Noir. The reviews that I've heard or read or watched on the RS660 are pretty darn glowing. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure who it's for because it's only, what, 80 horsepower? Uh, just shy of 100. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Victor, what's, uh, what's next, uh, project for you after you solve this conundrum? So I have quite a laundry list of, things to do on this bike if i can get down the vibrations to a minimum and the geometry sort of a little bit tweaked from last race where i kind of got an idea of what i like and what i didn't like the next step really is just digging into the motor and trying to pull out as much power as i possibly can i was running stock front tooth and rear 44 tooth and I was pulling about 80 miles an hour on the straightaway. So it's not bad. Mm-hmm. I think I can get it to 90 to 100. And the class that they have me running in at CVMA, at least currently, is with the 400s and 500s. So uh, if I can go down to around a 205 lap time, I'm pretty much good for uh, racing that bike at that speed anyway. I need to get an exhaust made and the cylinder ported um, just to start, as well as the carb and Zealtronics or 
power CDI, you know, kind of like the dream expensive items. But mm -hmm. the, I think that's really that's really the next couple steps is just finding someone who can do the port work. Uh, normally, I would port it myself, but I don't have access to a welder to build the exhaust. So I, I really want to match those things up. I had this idea of because the motocross pipes kind of wrap around themselves and then stick out the back or the side, uh, it, it's making it really difficult to mount the fairings. So I kind of want to have the exhaust go through where the radiator currently is and then maybe split that in half and have it go through where the gas tank is and make a new gas tank and then have it come out the back so fit through the frame instead and make everything a bit more tidy maybe flow a little bit better too kind of like the uh what was it was it the the nr500 that had the fuel tank under the engine and the if you took the the tank off you could see all the all the spaghetti pipes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes that, that was kind of inspiration from that and any other bikes that are on your list that you are thinking Maybe I want to try a... You well, know. since moving from New York to Phoenix to California, my garage size has got, gone down significantly. Uh, so there's not a whole lot of room in the stable to house another project. But we picked up a Ninja 400 for the SO. And she likes it so far, but I think it's probably going to end up getting a little bit of modifications here or there. So that's, that's something to work on. Otherwise, I have been designing on the side a frame for a 690 engine, KTM. Mm. Um, Kramer kind of beat me to it when I did some research on it, but I think I can build my own version possibly, or at least stick the CR something or other in there. Mm -hmm. Cool. Awesome. That'll be fun. Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm envious because I do miss going out on a racetrack and winging it around. I really do. Not the best idea for me to be doing it anymore, but you know, this. The other thing that's killing me right now is just because, and this is not to be political, uh, but the borders between the U.S. and Canada are closed essentially, and the closest racing series is like ninety minutes away or two hours away, but it's in Canada. So even if I wanted to go racing, I can't. Yeah. So the pandemic is saving me from myself. So well. I my one season of racing taught me that as fast as I can go and as fast as I care to go are two wildly different things. I honestly did not enjoy trying to stay at the edge of the envelope at 10 tenths. I don't have the temperament for it. I'm glad I did it the one year I did it back in the 80s, but uh, I'm about a 7 tenths kind of guy. <laughs> I'm still fairly young, so I'm chasing lap times here and trying to go down as far as I can get to the lap record, at least on the 300s. Maybe one day I'll move up to a 600 or a 1,000, but I really like the small displacement bikes, so kind of what I like. Yeah, the, the R3s and the Ninja 400s are, at least up in Canada, uh, in a couple series that I deal with up there, uh, they're huge. They have... 30 bikes, 35 bikes for that. And that's like three times what any other class is getting right now, just because mm -hmm. they're inexpensive. And if you crash, they're not that hard to fix and they're not that expensive to fix. And everyone from 14 year old kids to 65 year old women are racing it yet. Yeah, Cause Tony, 
think Tony's 62 and she's still, you know, top 10. So she's still yeah. rocking it. And so. on a three or 400 CC motorcycle, you're, you're not doing obscene velocities when your body gets disconnected from the motorcycle. So <laughs> yeah, no, I think the 400s and 300s are really the best way to get into racing at this point. If you're on a budget and you just kind of want to try it out and don't want to have big boy problems and big boy boo-boos on your mm-hmm. 600 or liter bike. Yeah. If you're, as, I, as I said, the two, the two answers to get into things these days are still yeah, SV650 is, is sort of the motorcycle equivalent of a Beata because that's the answer to everything. Um, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, either an R3 or a Ninja 400, those three bikes, if you want to get into road racing, you, you get into that, you'll have a ton of fun. You got to learn a lot because you can't just twist the throttle to get yourself out of trouble. You got to learn a little racecraft. You got to learn how to get through a corner and, um, they're fun. Yeah. It, speaking of new vehicles, I don't know, a couple weekends ago, Sarah and I took an extended trip on our spiders and I'm at 57 years old now sitting on my RSS with the rear set pegs right under the seat. You got a pretty good bend to your knees. And for the first time I got on it and I was like, Oh, I, I don't know if I can sit all day with my knees at this angle. <laughs> they were barking at me a little bit. Eventually I, I kind of got used to it, but there was about an hour in there. I'm like, Oh, this is really uncomfortable. And Sarah was like, well, do you want to trade it in and get something new that maybe is a little more cruiserish? I realized that the answer is probably yes, but I really, the idea of going to more of a cruiser position, I don't like from a control standpoint, and I just don't like it from a psychological standpoint. (laughs) (laughs) So um, for now, I'm going to stick with what I have, but I'm like, yeah, getting old and I don't like it. So. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap it up for this month. Victor, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome back anytime. And if you get to the point where you've made some progress and you want to update our listeners, feel free to reach out to us and we'll have you back on and you can, you can update us about your super single or anything else that you happen to be working on. What's your YouTube channel again that people can check it out? Sure. The YouTube and Instagram are three knees down. That's with the number three. And that's also your handle on the ADV Rider Forum, which he's got a build thread all about this bike. Thank you very much. Thank you. Eric and Garrett, thank you, as always, for doing this with me month after month. Certainly. We'll see you all in December. And until then, stay safe. And uh, we'll update you next month. So long. So long.